Amen. Thanks, G. Well, like Glenn said, uh, yeah, I get to serve as a pastor of care here. It is my joy to do so. And if you've been tracking along with us, it's also my joy to teach. And we find ourselves this morning continuing on in our Ephesians series, looking at Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 20. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there. If last week was a message, if you're here, if it was more of a message of how to wake up, this week's sermon is more of a message of how to stay awake. And we're going to see throughout the text of how to stay awake is really how to stay filled with the right things. And we're going to see that here because Paul is going to show us throughout the text, and we even we know in our daily context that we are filled with so many things in a day. We are filled with an, a constant feed of social media. We are filled with constant YouTube videos and TikTok reels maybe. We're filled with so many different movies and music and podcasts and books. Maybe we're filled with too much coffee, caffeine, or sugar in a day. We're filled with all types of things, even in our day-to-day -day relationships, not even to mention all the work that we have in an eight, nine-hour day. And we're filled with all these thoughts, all this information. We're filled with so many emotions through it all. So, friends, we, if we look at our lives, it's almost overwhelming to see how each one of us can be filled with so many things in just one day. And Paul's going to show us that the things we fill ourselves with actually matters. He's going to show us that there are actually things that we can fill our lives with that can ruin our lives. And yet there are things we can fill ourselves that will actually give us a life that is to the fullest of God's intent and the purpose of our lives. So this morning matters because we're going we're to see that we need to actually learn what those good things we can fill our lives with are and then how we can actually do that. So what are the things we ought to fill our lives with and then what are the things and how are we actually to do that. So if you have your Bibles, again, we'll find ourselves in Ephesians 5 verses 15 through 20. I just want to read the text. This is Paul going on after his wake-up sleeper and he says, verse 15, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, and making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So a really simple breakdown of this passage. We're going to see three things not to fill your life with and three things to fill your life with. Let's start with the things not to fill your life with. If we look at the text here, Paul says the first thing, don't live like fools. Essentially, the first thing not to fill your life with is foolishness. Don't fill your life with foolishness. And what does it mean to be a fool in God's eyes? There are all types of scriptures Books of wisdom that tell us not how to do that. One verse in particular, Psalm 14.1. God defines a fool as this. The fool says in his heart there is no God. The fool says in his heart there is no God. And lest we think that this verse is just for those who are atheistic in their knowledge and understanding of the world view. Friends, let's not actually cut this short for what it actually is. It is saying that anyone who lives, Christians included... Anyone who lives like there is no God is a fool, lives like a fool. Anyone who lives their life in such a way that they never actually interact, engage, or remember the existence and the presence of God in their lives. Friend, God says you live like a fool if you do that. 
And it's interesting because I'm so guilty of that and in a practical way. Think of it. Anytime we do something, you find yourself hours into an activity trying to fix our own problems and you realize, I haven't even prayed. I found myself this last week. Uh, so if you know, Jayla and I, we just got married this last March. And we had a whole honeymoon fiasco where it was a COVID thing where we didn't get our, our shot or whatever, the test. And what happened in this situation is, praise God, we got the refund because we paid the extra for the protection. But here's what's interesting about Southwest vacation refunds. Southwest, great airline, one of my favorites. But their refund system could use some work. So if, if you work for them, I'm not sorry, please do better. But honestly... <laughs> Honestly, if we look at the refund system, there's travel credits, travel funds, and vouchers. Now, mind you, all three of these things are not the same. They can't be crisscrossed, used in the same way, used for the same flight. So it's a whole combobulation of me trying to look at the calendar, look at the places to go, look at flights, look at research, look at the resorts. And all of this, I'm just racking my mind, banging my head against a wall, and I literally find myself hours and hours into burning out my laptop's battery, trying to figure this out. And as I get about the three-hour mark, I kid you not, the three-hour mark, I realize I haven't even prayed. And is it any wonder that God says anyone who lives without acknowledging God's presence and existence as sovereign God lives like a fool? And I found myself in that moment living like a fool. And friends, how often, not just with weird Southwest vacation refunds, but in everyday life, in so much of our life, we find ourselves living as if God doesn't exist, as if God's presence is not actually in our lives. And friends, Paul says, don't fill your life like that. Don't fill your days living as if God doesn't exist, because if you do, you're in risk of living like a fool. We also have to remember that, friends, we live in a day and age where we are living more and more functionally in a country that is trying to deface God from everything. Getting more and more hostile and atheistic in its tendencies and functions. And, and friends, what happens is it becomes harder and harder to remain a Christian in the U.S. Harder and harder to remember God's presence in our lives. And not only that, but we have a real spiritual enemy who is prowling around trying to devour faith. Who hates what we are doing here at COB, who hates God and who hates us as Christians. And he would hate if we would actually fill our lives with more of God. And he loves to empty our lives of God, on the other hand. He loves to see when the church begins to stray and empty our minds and our hearts of God's wisdom. He loves to see us instead fill it with more of the world's wisdom. He loves to see us act in foolishness. And what are the ways that we can do this? We find ourselves, Christians, is it, it's becoming more and more common that the churches these days are filled with things like personality tests and self-help podcasts, which some of those things can be helpful, but yet we find ourselves filling them with the point that we find our ultimate sense of comfort, our ultimate sense of counsel, our ultimate sense of feeling loved and understood by these communities of things that aren't God and aren't God's truth and aren't God's all-sufficient word. We find ourselves finding our most, if not all, of our counsel in psychotherapy. Nothing wrong with therapy, nothing wrong with psychology in, in, the, in the fact that it can be helpful. But the fact that if our 
All of our counsel is coming from that. And we've never once filled our lives with the very counsel of the wonderful counselor. And friends, there's an issue there. There's, there's foolishness there. We find ourselves maybe as Christians finding ourselves jumping on board with the next social justice movement. Jumping along and just agreeing with the next political agenda. Rather than as Christians looking to a better kingdom. Looking to the better king himself. Who knows how to actually give us true justice, give us true righteousness, give us true freedom that no one in current office can actually give us. Friends, we have a tendency and are at risk to fill our lives with foolishness. And Paul is warning us, warning against this type of lifestyle, warning against, against an enemy who loves to fill the church with foolishness. And empty the church of God's wisdom. Empty the church of God's presence. Empty the church of God's power to be more like Jesus. And instead filling households with passive husbands who don't cherish their brides. Instead filling households with unsubmissive brides who don't respect their husbands. Filling our families with fathers who don't get down on the floor and play with their kids or connect with them in emotional or spiritual ways. Filling families with mothers who think that their calling as a mom is anything less than the foundational, tremendous kingdom force that it actually is to make disciples within the family. Friends, we can empty our lives of God's presence and in doing so, emptying ourselves of true wisdom, emptying ourselves of true life, ridding ourselves of the spiritual armor that is meant to protect us and instead opening up our hearts and our minds to be exposed and vulnerable to the enemy's schemes. This is why Paul goes on to the second thing not to fill your life with. He says, don't act thoughtlessly. So not only don't fill your life with foolishness, but don't fill your life with thoughtlessness. What does that mean? Well, when our lives are emptied of engaging with God's presence, our thought life begins to be emptied as well. We begin to forget and empty our minds of who God is. We empty our minds of what he's done. We empty our minds of what he's finished and what he's promised. And that he actually desires something from each of our lives. To be holy. To be made more and more into the image of Jesus and how we think and act and treat each other. We forget who we are and what kind of access we actually have as loved, holy, and chosen children. That have access to a gracious and loving father at all times of our day. And therefore, what happens is we begin to act thoughtlessly, fill our lives with thoughtlessness towards God. We actually begin to engage with him less and less. We expect less and less from him. And maybe even the, perhaps the saddest thing of all, we begin to think less and less of him. And I think if we were honest with ourselves in a very objective and sobering way, we'd see on paper our breakdown of a 24-hour day we live. And if we were to look at our day on paper of a 24-hour period, what would it show? It would show exactly what we fill our lives with, but on the flip side, it would show us exactly what we don't fill our lives with. And if we're being honest here, if we see in a 24-hour day, what if we saw 15 minutes spent intentionally with God in Bible reading and prayer, while 15 hours spent unintentionally, Filling our days with things that won't matter in eternity. Fifteen minutes with God, 
15 hours functionally without God. Friends, I think if we're honest, that's not meant to condemn, but it's meant to awaken and keep us awake, filling our lives with thoughtfulness towards God. And Paul goes on to say, okay, here's one more thing. The third thing, don't fill your life with foolishness or thoughtlessness, and don't fill it with wine. He says, don't get drunk with wine. And what does that mean? Why is Paul just being so specific out of nowhere? This one feels a little like out of left field. Well, you see, Paul is getting to the heart of the matter. He's not warning the church of wine. We know that it's the very Paul that would actually tell Timothy, hey, drink wine. It's good for you. It's good for your stomach. It'll help have some health benefits. It's actually in the scriptures. It testifies that it gladdens the heart of man. It has, wine has so many beautiful symbols throughout scripture. It's why we partake in the Lord's Supper with it. So Paul is not warning against wine here. He's warning of filling your life with so much wine that it becomes idol worship. That it gets you into a state that's not even you in Christ anymore. It's a state of drunkenness. Paul's saying here that the heart of the issue, which again is always the heart itself. Only showing how we empty our lives of God's presence and fill our lives with God's gifts instead. It's a classic case of the human's the human heart's love affair with the gifts of God rather than the gift of God himself. And well, left alone to our own devices, friends, it's a sobering, heavy reality that every one of us would actually choose this path. Which Paul says, if you choose this path, if you live in such a way, filling your lives with the gifts of God, but emptying your lives for the love of God, then your life will come to ruin. And friends, as sinners born into a sin-filled world, every one of us will naturally choose the path of ruin. Without God in our life, without ever living a life acknowledging the existence and the presence of God in our lives, and we fill our lives with that stuff, we will fill our lives with ruin. And because God is so kind, so God is so gracious to spare us from that. This makes the gospel that much better. It makes the gospel such good news. Because Jesus, friends, he, is, he only lived his life full of love for God. He only filled his life full of the wisdom of God. He only filled his life with the righteousness of God. And therefore could go to the cross because of our lack of goodness. Because of our lack of righteousness. Our lack of wisdom. Our lack of love for God. And he would raise three days later to justify us, to set us free, to give us the new life, the new power, the very power, the very spirit that actually empowered him to live that kind of life so that we can now live that kind of life. Friends, that the good news tells us we don't have to live our lives filling it with worthless things that will ruin them anymore. The good news of Jesus tells us that we can fill our lives with God as much as we please. And it's funny because when we see the first filling here in Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit would fill the people of God for the first time, in an amazing, incredible scene at Pentecost, the people were actually mocked by others saying that they're just drunk on new wine as they gave praise to their creator. And it's interesting because the mockers in a lot of ways were correct. They had been filled with new wine. And it's interesting because we'll see that in Matthew 9. This is Jesus foreshadowing this Pentecost. 
event where Jesus will give two parables speaking to those who think that they can work their way to God in their self-righteousness and can actually earn and deserve salvation apart from the grace of God. And Jesus, in his two parables, I'll focus on the second one. Because what Jesus does here is he compares our self-righteousness, our self-righteous rituals and acts and good works to brittle, old wineskins. Think of like a, a, a balloon that gets filled with wine. And he's saying that these old wineskins are so brittle, so fragile, so used, so already have been filled with something else. That if you would put new wine in them, they would crumble and break and be ruined. And what Jesus is saying here is that there needs to be new wineskins in, in order for this new wine to actually be filled. And this new wine here, Jesus is saying that it's actually this new covenant of grace. It's this new idea that you can't actually earn yourself or deserve salvation. But it is grace. It is this new hope, a new life with this new spirit that has never been in the church before. And that, friends, that in order to have this wine, you actually need to be a new wineskin completely. Jesus is saying that this new wine, this new hope, this spirit of God himself cannot live inside of an old, brittle wineskin that is still focused on thinking it can earn its way into heaven. And these new wineskins, when we become born again, when we trust in Jesus, when we turn from our sins and say, Jesus, run my life. Run my life. You are my Lord. You are my Savior. You alone can save me, and it will be by grace through faith alone. You become a new wineskin. Now a vessel ready to be filled with this new wine, this new hope, this new life, the spirit of God himself to live in you and fill you. And it's interesting because the way Paul puts it in Ephesians 5.18, this filling, he says, be filled with the spirit. The original language actually says, continually be being filled with the spirit. That's a better translation. It's not this one-time event that if you're this new wineskin, you get filled to the brim and then you're done and you just... Keep going on in life. It's actually Paul saying continually be being filled. And, and if the example of a liquid doesn't do it for it to show you how to continually be being filled, then let's go back to how the scriptures actually call and actually translate the word spirit. The word spirit has three different words in scripture in the original language. Spirit, breath, and wind. Breath as in the breath the very breath that God breathed into Adam to give him life. The wind that Jesus says, the spirit is like the wind, right? This idea that it goes as it pleases and yet we can't see it and it's mysterious. And this is the very type of thing that Paul is saying, continually be being filled with the breath of God, the wind of God. So instead of picturing a wineskin, you can picture a sailboat out on the water. And if you know anything about a sailboat, if there ain't no wind, it don't move. It just sits there. It's just a sail. And friends, that's the life of the Christian. Now, this is not Paul saying, hey, I'm kind of suggesting that you continually be being filled with the Spirit. He's saying, no, I command you in, in the power and the authority of the name of Jesus, continually be being filled. Like a sailboat as Christians, we don't move unless the Spirit moves. We don't grow towards holiness unless the Spirit moves. We don't use the spiritual gifts unless the Spirit moves. Come on. Come 
We need the breath of God, the wind of God to fill our sails. We need to be the wineskins that are ever ready to expand and be stretched. And friends, that's not always comfortable. It's not always comfortable to be stretched. It's not always comfortable to be the sailboat being filled and pushed along. But friends, we know that we actually have someone who's running our lives who knows exactly where he's directing us. And we can be comforted in knowing that those feelings will lead to those good things. We are these sails, we are the wine skins, and we are to be filled and ever stretched continually. And how do we do that? Well, if we've talked about the three things not to be filled with, let's look at the three things we are to be filled with. Paul goes on. In Ephesians 5, 15 through 16, he says, instead of living like a fool, he says, live wisely. Filling our days with making the most of every opportunity to give glory to God. So the first thing, be filled with wisdom. Ephesians 5.17, he goes on to talk about live with understanding. That we should actually be filled with thoughtfulness. Instead of thoughtlessness, be filled with thoughtfulness. And third and last, he says that we should sing and address one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Making music to the Lord in our hearts. Always giving thanks to God the Father through Jesus. There's this beautiful Trinitarian picture of being filled with the Spirit to give thanks to the Father through the Son. And it's this beautiful image that we are to be filled with worship. So the three things we are to be filled with, be filled with wisdom, be filled with thoughtfulness, and be filled with worship. You want to be filled with the Spirit, fill yourself with those things. But how? That's on paper, but how do we practically do that? Well, again, friends, if we want to be filled with the Spirit, and maybe if you feel like you haven't been filled with the Spirit lately. Then a good question to ask yourself is, when was the last time you gave thanks to God? When, when was the last time that your prayers weren't dominated by neediness, but dominated by thankfulness? When was the last time you spoke to someone in such a way that it began to testify and be the overflow of God's goodness in your life that you have experienced in a personal, intimate way? When was the last time we went deeper with each other on a Sunday morning and didn't just talk about the weather or baseball, but we actually talked about the deeper things of God and the grace of God, the love of God, the way that we've seen God move in our last week. If we haven't felt close to God, maybe when was the last time we worshipped him? I'm not talking about just singing some songs on a Sunday morning. I'm talking about worshipping. I'm talking the, the depth that Paul goes to say that it's not just singing psalms and hymns with your mouth, but it's saying it's making music to God in your hearts. That it goes deeper than lip service, it goes to the heart. And friends, I think if we're honest, I think if the reason we struggle sometimes as a church to be filled with the Spirit is because I think we struggle making music to God in our hearts. I think we would have no idea of Monday through Saturday how to actually do that. How, where to even begin if I were to say, hey, all right, tomorrow's Monday. Go make music to God in your hearts. In everything that you do, all right, let's pray out. I don't know if we know what to do. And I don't think that's a, that's a problem because I think God gives us a clear direction of how to do that through this passage. Because of all of these ways, friends. All of these ways are ways to actually fill yourself with the Spirit of God. The born-again believer, you have the indwelling Spirit. But is he filling you? Is he a guest in the guest room of the house or does he have access to the whole house? 
Friends, being filled with the Spirit maybe isn't necessarily getting more of him, but it's him getting more of us. And the way to do that is to actually invite and involve God in every area of our hearts and of our lives so that he can occupy them. He can fill them with his breath, his life, his wind, his presence. Because here's the truth. Most of the things we actually fill our lives with aren't actually bad things. Can I say that? You can take a breath of relief. Most of the things we fill our lives are actually very good things. Good gifts from a good God meant to enjoy him. And again, as Paul says, wine is not wrong. Drunkenness is. Money is not evil. Greed is. Sex is not sin. Impurity is. Food is not idolatrous. Gluttony is. Friends, these are good gifts, but we have twisted them, we have distorted them, we have used and abused them to actually go astray from the very God who meant to give us these things to enjoy him. The sobering reality that Paul is trying to get at here is that when we exclude God, when we don't recognize him in the gifts, when we don't give him thanks for the gifts, and when we don't enjoy him in the gifts, we can actually fill our lives with good things and yet ruin our lives because we've emptied them of the best things, namely God himself. So here's the alternative. If you want to live a spirit-filled life as a Christian, I'm going to get practical. If we want to fill our lives with wisdom, if we want to fill our lives with thoughtfulness, if we want to fill our lives with worship, with the very spirit of the living God, and we actually want to stop settling for good but actually squeeze out the best in the good, then, friends, let's get practical. Instead of filling our lives with grumbling about every inflated dollar at the gas pumps and in the grocery stores, which is true, would we fill our lives with the Spirit of God? Would we fill our lives with thanksgiving instead, saying, thank you, God, for every dollar I did get to spend? Thank you for every drop of gas you did put in my car. Thank you for every morsel of food I did get to put in that grocery cart. And we would have a, a, a lifestyle that is marked with being filled with the Spirit, filled with worship, filled with thanksgiving. Instead of being filled with the fleshly desires of lust, would we actually be filled with the Spirit as we recognize that sex is an amazing, beautiful gift. And the ecstasy of that experience is actually pointing towards the greater joy of when we are finally united with our true bridegroom, Jesus Christ. Instead of being filled with fear and doubt, I'll be real with this one. Instead of being filled with fear and doubt when it comes to the spiritual gifts, especially the revelatory gifts, would we actually instead be filled with the very spirit who gives us those good gifts? Would we be filled with love and faith in that spirit and love for one another so that we would actually operate in the gifts to build each other up so that God would get more glory and we would get more good? Instead of being filled with pride, not wanting to lose arguments, especially with spouses, would we be filled with the Spirit to experience and give us thankfulness in our hearts for the actual beauty within the pain of exercising our God-given wills over our feelings and emotions. That we would actually be filled with humility. We would be filled with the quickness to actually apologize quick to reconcile. I was reminded of this this last week as I was uh, prepping the sermon. 
my bride and I, it was after city group, and we'd gotten into conflict over the stupidest thing. The stupidest thing. It always starts there. It just so, shows how dumb sin really is, if I'm honest. But I remember that moment, I was not being filled with the Spirit of God. I was being filled with hardness of heart, filled with pride, filled with things that were not of God. And what happened is I got to see my bride, my lovely bride, actually be filled with the Spirit instead. I got to see my bride filled with tenderness and gentleness. I got to see my bride filled with humility before my very eyes that led her to apologize and be quick to pursue reconciliation between us. And I began to see how foolish I was acting. I began to be softened by the very kindness of God that always leads us to return. And I remember thinking that moment, I never want to live my life apart from the filling of God like this again. I don't want to live my life not like the way that my bride just did right there, where I get to see the beauty of what happens when we're actually filled with the Spirit of God. And I think, friends, not just for my personal example here, but I think within the church itself, that we would see as people get more and more filled with the Spirit of God, we would see more and more households filled with husbands and fathers who are filled with gentleness, filled with kindness, filled with humility. We would see more brides and mothers filled with peace, patience, and joy. Friends, I, just as fermentation happens in wine, it's interesting, I was doing research as I was prepping this. Fermentation in wine is where the yeast begins to eat the sugar in the grape juice and it begins to um, give out carbon dioxide, which expands the wineskin, expands the container. But it's interesting because in that process of fermentation, um, as the yeast does this, it also produces the alcohol, which is in the wine. And the alcohol is actually a defense mechanism to actually rid the wine of impurities. Fermentation is a purifying process. Fermentation makes the wine smell and taste sweeter. And so, too, I think as sanctification in a lot of ways parallels fermentation in wine, sanctification in saints ought to actually, as we begin to be expanded and filled more and more, should purify us, should purify our desires, should purify what we fill our lives with as we are purified of sin and sin becomes uglier and uglier. And so shouldn't the response be that the spirit only becomes sweeter and sweeter to us? both in theology but also in experience, that the Spirit of God, the more and more time goes on with him and being filled with him more and more and more, that he just becomes sweeter and sweeter and sweeter to us. He's not intimidating. He's not the forgotten God. He is our friend. He is our helper. And as a result of this also, not only would become sweeter, he would become sweeter to us, but we would be sweeter to God, that our worship would actually be more fragrant, and our service to others would actually be sweeter and sweeter as well. And the key in all of this, friends, is not our own strength. It's not our own wisdom. It is the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. God, the Spirit, the Spirit of truth, the paraclete, our helper, our comforter, our advocate, our counselor, our God, Yahweh. See, the one whose spiritual presence is just as if it were Jesus' physical presence. 
The one whose spiritual presence with us is just as if it were Jesus' physical presence with us. An amazing comfort. Is it any wonder that Jesus says, it's best that I go because this is the best person I could send you. The one who teaches us, the one who reminds us, the one who fills us with truth and the power to love and be loved. The bottom line, friends, if you don't get anything from this, I just want to summarize, give you the spark notes of this sermon. There is a simple way not to fill your life in a way that it would ruin it. And it is to fill your life with more of God. The spirit-filled life is really nothing more than filling your life with an awareness of God's presence in every area of your heart and your life. Living your life as if you're actually living in the presence of God every moment of it. Because friends, Christian or not, you are. And if we actually want to become holy, because God cares about our holiness, we will actually have to learn how to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Hence the name. We will want to be holy, be filled with the Holy Spirit himself. And I want to close by way of application by asking us to pray. We're going to be taking communion this morning. And I think it's just a fitting time to reflect and meditate on God's goodness and our pre his presence in our lives. Remembering that one day Jesus will come back for his bride. For those who have turned from their sins and trusted in him, he will come back to rescue us. He will come back to reunite with us and bring us home. And I don't know about you, but in that moment, I don't want that moment to feel foreign. When I meet Jesus face to face. When I meet God face to face. I don't want that to feel awkward or a little uncomfortable. I want the presence of God to be so familiar in my life. I want the presence of God to be so comforting, so normal, that when I meet God face to face, it doesn't feel like a re it feels more like a reunion rather than a reintroduction. Because I learned how to fill my life with his presence and everything that I did, everything that I thought, everything that I felt. So during this time, I would ask you the question to dwell on. Where have you not invited God in your life? And where do you not currently experience the presence of God in your life? And then I would actually invite you to invite him into those areas into those parts of your life and to fill you afresh. To ask him to fill you with more of an awareness, a more of a sensitivity to the spirit. You can start by asking him this afternoon. Start by asking God to give you a spirit-filled Sunday afternoon, to be more aware of him and to enjoy him in the good gifts of family, whatever you do this afternoon. And then tomorrow, Monday morning, ask him to fill you to have a spirit-filled Monday morning, and then a spirit-filled Monday afternoon, and then a spirit-filled Monday evening, and on and on it goes until it snowballs, until all of your life is filled and occupied with thoughts and actions and the love of God. It will start with prayer. It will start by simply asking. It will start with communing and intimacy with God to say, God, I love your presence because in your presence there's fullness of joy. And I want that joy in every area of my life. I want that joy in every waking moment, an hour spent on this earth so that when I meet you face to face, it will just feel like the sweet reunion as if it was the handoff from heaven. And I'm just going from the spirit right into the presence of Jesus. So friends, let's pray to that end. Will you join me?
Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your kindness. I thank you for your presence in this place and in our lives for those who are born again and get to experience intimacy with you unhindered. And yet, God, we, are, we confess that even though it is all unhindered, it does not always mean that's undistracted. And so, God, I'm asking for a fresh filling upon your church. I'm asking for a fresh filling of focus and awareness and sensitivity to your presence in our lives. I'm asking for softened hearts that remember your goodness and your love in our lives that actually want, make us want to stay near you, that make us never want to go ahead of you, never want us to do something without you. But God, that your presence would be so occupying our lives, so filling everything that we think, say, and do in our minds and in our hearts and in our words, that God, you would get that much more glory, that you would get that much more intimacy with your children and with your bride, Jesus, and we would get the good from it. We thank you that these promises are available to us because of your blood. We claim them. We cling to them. We receive them in Jesus' name. Amen.